Welcome to another episode of Reach and Thrive Together. This is your host, Daryl Kane. This podcast is all about capturing stories of community leaders across the country who are doing amazing things and making a difference. Well, with no further ado, let's dive into another exciting episode. Hello, everyone. Daryl Kane with the Reach and Thrive Together podcast. So glad to be back with you for another exciting episode. I've got a a great friend and an impressive uh, professional with me today, Kelly Witter from the uh, EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. So we're going to have a good conversation around education, the environment, and uh, partnerships. So Kelly, thank you so much for joining the podcast this morning. How are you doing? I am doing great today on this beautiful sunny day. I know we've had so much rain here lately. It's so glad to have the sun out and just uh, some warm weather. So that's pretty amazing. So I know that you're an environmental uh, professional. I know that you're always excited about uh, good weather. So thanks again for joining us. So why don't you give the listeners just a quick background of of what you do for a living and your professional background? Sure. Well, I'll start a little bit with my education. And, um, And so when I went to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do but I knew I should do um, science, math, because that would be good for me. And because I love the outdoors, I I actually majored in geology, um, just because I was just curious about, um, you know, the outdoors, how the earth was formed, and I love rocks. So I majored in geology, and then also math, because I liked math, um, until it got too hard, but I picked it as a major as well, just because I knew it would be good for me. And so when I finished up my undergrad, um, the timing was such that there weren't a lot of jobs in the geology field. And, um, you know, so it's sort of like what people need to do now with pivoting because of COVID. So I was very fortunate, actually, that um, I came across an opportunity um, where at, at the university that I was at to stay for graduate school in civil and environmental engineering. And so then through that program, I was able to do research on um, clay liners for hazardous waste landfills, which was really fun. And so um, after I finished um, my master's degree, I thought, I need a break. So I up from education. So I up and went to Colorado and lived in the mountains. And I worked as a field engineer, which was really fun. Um, I learned so much. Um, I did soil testing. I did concrete testing. I even helped out with surveying. And it was just a great opportunity to learn some new skills and, um, you know, sort of see how important it is for the soil to be prepared properly underneath buildings, roads, and um, same for concrete. So, um, but then I missed North Carolina. So I came back to North Carolina and that was quite some time ago, 1987. Um, So I came back and I started in a one year temporary position at the US EPA and Research Triangle Park. And I'm still here um, after all those (laughs) years. So, um, and what I did when I first started at EPA was I was working on indoor air quality in schools. And the way that connected with my education is that um, there's a soil gas called radon and it comes from the radioactive decay of uranium in soils and it can get trapped inside buildings. And so myself and our um, research team worked on um, identifying radon in schools and then trying to mitigate it and then eventually protecting it. And so for me, that was really fun because um, not only was it 
making research important, but by doing the research, we also fixed radon problems in schools. Um, and that you don't often get that quick um, satisfaction mm -hmm. in doing research. Um, and then during my time at EPA, I also worked on what's called pollution prevention research. And in that role, I collaborated um, with manufacturers to um, try and encourage them to voluntarily reduce the indoor air emissions in their products. So for example, I worked with um, composite wood manufacturers and also uh, manufacturers of photocopiers to try and get them to um, you know, make their products so that they would emit less. Um, and then finally in 2003, I got to the point where I am um, in the role that I am in now as the um, director of the EPA's um, Community Engagement and STEM Education Program here in Research Triangle Park. And in this role, um, it's really my dream job. And what I do is I communicate EPA science to the public with a focus on K through 12 schools. And, um, and I came to the realization that it was important when my kids started um, elementary school. I have three kids and they, they, they're in the Durham Public Schools. And I just noticed uh, a lot of inequities in terms of kids' exposure to STEM. Um, and I felt like EPA would be um, you know, a good organization to bring um, STEM and science to schools where not everybody might would be exposed to it. Wow, okay, so that's, that's a lot to, uh, to cover. Thank you for sharing all that. And I love that you spent some time in the field and then you know, got into more of the education piece that um, you really kind of you know, using your background to really inform students and inform schools. So that's pretty powerful. And uh, I can just imagine just, you know, when you talk about manufacturing and pollution, it's like, it's, that's kind of a touchy subject because people love the economic development and the job creations and which is, you know, obviously good. But then you also have to make sure you're protecting the environment while you're, you know, growing all these jobs and building products. So that's that's a challenging situation there. So now I know what, what so what, actually what do you do when you go out to these schools? Do you basically just like kind of like do experiments, do you give lectures? Like what what usually happens when you go into a school? Well, um, whether it's in person um, or <laughs> as it's been in the last year, virtual, um the first thing that we try and do when we go into the schools is really engage the students. And um, so, you know, to pique their interest in STEM and then as a follow-up, um, provide some education. But it really is so important to engage with the students. Um, and so I'll use the term hands-on activities, whether the hands-on activities are actually in the classroom or whether it's done virtually. Um, and just some examples, um, one of my favorite activities in elementary schools is to teach students about air quality chemistry using Legos. And so we take something familiar to kids, um, you know, you can do this in second grade, um, take something familiar like Legos and put the Legos together to make, you know, like, for example, um, you know, an uh, oxygen molecule, um, water. So, you know, I teach them like, you know, when you go go home or, you know, say, say that you had some H2O, which is really water. So it takes something very, you know, very, very familiar with to them and teaches them something new. And particularly with 
students who may not have exposure. Um, they, it shows, shows them that chemistry um, can be accessible. Um, we like to play games, um, again, because you need student interest. So we avoid lecturing. Um, that happens a little bit more now um, with um, you know, virtual presentations, but we really, you know, we, we, we just try to not use slides in normal times. Um, you know, we might go into, go into streams and look for macroinvertebrates to, um, to measure, um, to, to look as, a, as an indicator of water quality. So again, very interactive and outside when we can be outside. Um, over the last year, I, like a year ago, I had no idea we'd be as busy as we are now with virtual outreach. But one of our most popular activities, both in person and now virtually, is a game. Um, and the game is called Generate, um, the game of energy choices. And it was actually developed by researchers at EPA based on real work that they, that they do on energy modeling. And it, it's basically a board game that teaches um, participants about the trade-offs between energy choices, um, for example, fossil fuels versus renewable energy, and the impacts that those choices have on the cost, the air quality, and climate change. Um, and it, it really has been our most popular virtual activity. In the past year, um, we've developed the board game version to be done via um, Jamboards, um, which, so it's very, very interactive still, and the students play on teams. Um, and we've played it with schools throughout the Triangle, Fayetteville, um, in the Chicago area, and also with, um, through um, a, uh, the U.S. Embassy in uh, Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina. We've played uh, several sessions with, with students from there, and we have um, a, a number of sessions in Bosnia-Herzegovina planned for this month, as well as in Serbia and Hungary. So that's been really fun. Wow, so your job is to play games uh, with uh, students. That's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up for something like that. That sounds pretty cool. So uh, yeah, so it sounds like you're really using your educational background and your STEM experience to impact kids and to let them know kind of what's out there in industry and make it relatable to them. And I think that's, that's super important. You mentioned that you have to you know, really engage them and get their attention first and uh, make sure that they're uh, paying attention, they're excited about it and see that it makes a difference because, you know, like most of us, most of us don't think about when you flip the light switch, you know, what happens and all behind the scenes, you just want the light to come on. But there is a cost behind, you know, making that you know, easily available to everyone. So, yeah, that's a, that's a lot to think about. So when you, you kind of mentioned something around deserving underserved people and people that are, you know, without resources, why do you, why do you feel like that's important for, you know, every um, you know, piece of the population to know about these kind of things? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And um, when I think about um, like my origin story, um, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, uh, and my my parents did not go to college, um, but they always encouraged me to do the best I could in school, um, you know, and, and, and pursue college. And um, in my senior year of high school, um, some of you may have heard of um, the Love Canal, which is one of the um, the first big um, Superfund sites or you know, hazardous waste um, sites that was found. And that was about 20 minutes from where I grew up. 
And basically what happened was a, um, a chemical company that um, was near Niagara Falls um, had this canal and they dumped all these this hazardous waste in the canal, covered it up, and then a school and neighborhood was built on there. And, mm. um, and I think it just really impacted my um, concern about the environment and the equity um, from exposure and, you know, and just even more personal about it was my mom um, was actually a secretary. She actually worked at this company as a secretary and um, before I was born. And when she was pregnant with me, they made her quit, um, quit her job. And so they knew, you know, that, that the chemicals were bad. Um, so I think it was just that personal, um, uh, you know, personal connection to an environmental disaster. Um, and, you know, and, and one of the things I love about working at the EPA is our mission is to protect human health and the environment and to connect back to my, um, you know, what we do in the classroom um, the research on environmental education shows that in order to motivate kids about protecting the environment, they first need to learn to love the environment. And if they don't have the opportunity to be out in the environment and exposed to it, then it's hard for them you know, to, to appreciate it. So again, exposure to the environment and appreciating the environment for all populations, I just feel is really critical. Um, and so, uh, um, and, and if, you, if, uh, if, you, if I could, I'll give an example of one of the ways that we do this. And we talk a lot about ecosystem services and the ecosystem services are basically, um, you know, you go to, um, you know, what services do, do an ecosystem provide for us? Like if you go to get your oil changed, that's a service, you know, in your car, you go to get your haircut, that's a service. Ecosystems actually provide us services. Like, uh, for example, a, um, a forest ecosystem gives us the service of clean air. It gives us the service of stormwater control. And by um, protecting these ecosystems, we get services that help protect our health. So just helping students and educators be aware of this, I just find is very, very um, important and empowering. And I feel like I've got the best job. Um, yes, yeah, my dream job. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, there's some good points around the ecosystems and just part of my podcast theme is really kind of partnering with people together and kind of uh, having finding shared goals and finding ways that we can partner together and, you know, build each other up. And so it sounds like you're doing that with your work. And I know, I, obviously I work at a K-12 organization called the Keenan Fellows Program. We're all about connecting industry and, and schools. And so give me some examples of people that you've been kind of partnering with over the years. It could be school systems, it could be business partners, it could be bringing people into your campus. Like what's some examples of how you are partnering with your folks? Well, you mentioned the Keenan Fellows Program, and we've been um, partnering with the Keenan Fellows Program for about almost four, five years now. And that's been extra rewarding for me because through the Keenan Fellows Program, um, I've had the opportunity to mentor three local educators. And um, as much as I love going into classrooms, when we, when we uh, uh, do professional development and mentoring of teachers, that increases um, the knowledge and the impact so many times over because the teachers 
can share that the information that they learn about at the EPA, they can share that with their students year after year. So, um, so for example, when we've had students from Keenan or teachers from Keenan Fellows come to the EPA, we, we take them in labs, we, you know, show, we take them into schools and show them what we do in the schools, but it's so important for them to see the important work that we do to protect human health and the environment. Um, and more importantly, that are just as important, they can take this information to their students, whether they're second graders or high schoolers or somewhere in between, and share with those students um, different careers that they can um, expose. And, and in fact, um, uh, the last um, fellow that I mentored um, was a second grade teacher, and we followed up with her bringing um, in two separate days, bringing all the second grade students at her school to the EPA um, for a field trip. And if you saw the look on those, not only the students' faces, but also the EPA employees seeing those students walking around our building, it was such a win-win. Um, and another program we're doing right now with the Keenan Fellows is um, a year-long professional development program for 25 Durham Public School teachers. And um, again, that's really rewarding because um, you know, 25 teachers are learning about you know, the work that we do and they'll be able to share that with their students. Um, we, we do a lot in Durham County because um, there are, there's a high percentage of students in Durham County who are on free and reduced lunch. And so we partner with um, the Durham Public Schools Science Alliance and um, another program called the Bold Network, which um, emphasizes um, outdoor education in the schools. And now it's gonna be so much more important as our students are coming back to the classroom to have outdoor learning environments at their schools. Um, we worked with the Durham Children's Initiative and um, the Wake Ed Partnership. Uh, for the Wake Ed Partnership, we um, normally we would have teachers come out for a day of, um, of uh, professional development. Um, now we're doing it virtually. We, have, we've also, we also partner with the um, Research Triangle Foundation. So um, those are some examples of local um, organizations. Um, and then we also um, do a lot of work with um, US embassies through a program called um, Embassy Science Fellowships. And that helps expand our work in, um, in, in areas that might not have the science expertise. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of great partners, especially around the Triangle area. And uh, I'm sure that's it's well received because uh, like I said, there's a lot of folks that um, have you know, great resources, but then there's a good population that doesn't have those kind of connections and get a chance to, to learn these things uh, from someone that they actually know. So sounds like you guys are doing some great work in, in the Triangle in Raleigh and Durham. So thank you for all that. That's very impressive. So is there any difference when you're doing something like uh, you know locally for, versus nationally or internationally? You kind of mentioned several different uh, cities that you're doing work in and some internationally. So Anything change once you kind of uh, you know, get out of the area? Yes, I'm glad you asked that question. Um, and I've had a wonderful career at the EPA. Uh, and my most exciting experience uh, was um, about two years ago 
when I had the opportunity to spend three months working as an embassy science fellow in, um, in uh, working at the embassy in Sarajevo. Um, and I took, you know, the outreach that I do here in, in the Triangle area, I, I took that to Bosnia-Herzegovina because they burn a lot of coal and it's coal that has lignite in it, which is even worse um, for, for your health. And so I went there to educate um, the students about, um, students and the teachers about, um, you know, air quality and choices that they can make about energy. And it was an incredible experience. And one of the first things I noticed going into classrooms there was that the students were not used to interactive um, presentations. Um, and they looked at me in the first five minutes, they were like, oh my gosh, she's asking me questions. She's being interactive. <laughs> and they were very, um, very cautious. You know, they, the, um, the area was, um, it was formerly, former Yugoslavia. And um, these children were, you know, are being raised by parents who were raised under communism. And so they're very, extremely well behaved and but very cautious when I was interactive. But after about five minutes, they were just like, wow, this is a fun way to learn. Uh, however, a lot of the teachers were, were just didn't know how to handle it. And they, their concern was, well, how are we gonna evaluate the students if you're doing all this interactive activity because they're accustomed to teaching in a different way. And, you know, and so some of the teachers were just really put off by the interactive nature of our, of our outreach. Uh, but most of them came around and I did a number of training workshops for them and it was just an incredible experience and I loved taking something that I was familiar with and being plopped in a different location with, um, you know, where people spoke a different language. Most of the kids spoke English quite well. Um, I often had a translator with me, but if I didn't have a translator, I'd have... Um, a student would volunteer to translate. So it was really hmm. fun. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. You, sort, sort, sort of sounds like the same kind of conversations we have here in America around like test scores and, you know, standardized tests. And, you know, obviously there's things can be important at times and, you know, for, for specific reasons, but, um, you know, you, the learning is different than the testing and the evaluation. So it's, it's uh, almost two separate things, but yeah, so that's really interesting that, uh, that that we're actually kind of leading the way in the world as far as uh, education, because sometimes we feel like we're falling behind, which which may be true in some aspects when you look at test scores, but that engagement and interactive learning, I think we are still leading the way in because of people like you. So I appreciate your work. So any final things you want to share with us about uh, before we end up our, our session today? Oh, um. I just like to say thank you for this opportunity to really, you know, share our program and, um, you know, and I, I would encourage folks to check out um, the resources available from the EPA on www.epa.gov. Um, oh, and one final thing, uh, since uh, we're all here in North Carolina, is that our newly confirmed EPA administrator, Michael Regan, 
is from North Carolina. So we should all be pretty proud of that. Um, uh, Administrator Regan um, was, is a graduate of North Carolina A&T. And before being appointed um, as the EPA administrator, he worked for the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. So I think that is a really um, important connection that we should all be really proud of in that someone you know, from North Carolina is in the lead position um, for environmental protection and that um, he will um, be, he, he has a lot of experience um, in environmental justice and uh, climate change. So, um, so we're really fortunate for that. Well, well, thank you so much for uh, sharing your, your expertise and all the resources. I'll put some links in the, uh, the comment section of the, of the bio for the podcast and uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and appreciate all the work you're doing for kids and teachers uh, really across the world. So thank you so much. Thank you, Daryl. Okay. All right. We'll uh, catch up with you later.